Now, I got to tell you, on that day, I don't remember a lot of things. Like, I don't remember the movie that we saw. I don't remember which day it was, what month it was, even what year it was. Ten, me being 10, him 12 is I it's guessing. But I have always remembered those comments. What's so funny? Is it them? Because it hurt. Like, that was one of the first times where I felt like in the Bay Area, where I grew up, which is home, I feel like I don't belong. I feel like if there is a room and my brother and I are in it, and there is something that a non-Asian would find hysterically funny, it must be that we're Asian. It didn't feel very good. And that was one of the first things I remember of actually encountering a form of racism. Can I ask you guys, do you have a similar story to that? Where you felt like, I don't belong here, and it's really because of your race. Well, this morning, we want to unpack that, not really for our community, but for uh, our brothers and sisters in the black community, who also are going through racism, but I, I think uh, we know that it's racism on a whole new level. It's uh, racism that's a lot more extreme with a lot more that's at stake. Now, what, am I, what do I mean by that? What, I think intuitively we understand what I mean by that, but let me just uh, try to illustrate it for you. When I was 16 and I got my driver's license and permission to drive the Datsun 210, big deal, my mom thought it's time to give my son the talk. Now, I don't know if you guys uh, know what I mean by the talk, but it wasn't the birds and the bees talk. Actually, my mom never gave me that talk. But she did give me this talk. And she sat me down and she said, son, she said, Enzu. And she was telling me what to do if a policeman were to pull me over. And so this is what she said. She said, Enzu, if a policeman pulls you over, you should do what mama does. And what do you do, mom? She said, well, this is what I do. I, I roll down the window, and I said, hello, you're Heiner. How are you? I said, mom, you're Heiner? She said, you're Heiner. I said, mom, what's a Heiner? You're, mom, you, you must mean your honor, okay? But your Heiner sounds like your wiener, okay? She said, no, listen to mama, it works. Your Heiner, your honor, whatever, okay? And then you say, oh, I tell you what, I'm normally a good driver, please let me go today. No ticket, okay? <laughs> that was the talk. That was the talk. Now, now here's, here's my point. Never, when my mom was giving me the talk, did it even cross her mind that her son's life was in danger. It never crossed her mind that I might get shot or killed. My mom was thinking about saving money, not about my life, you know? She was like, here's a way you can get out of a ticket. Now, I'm bringing this up because black mothers in the black community have the same talk with their kids, especially their sons, but it's a very different talk. And the, the talk goes like, um, lower your voice and make sure they see your hands at all times and don't make any sudden movements and say, 
yes sir, or yes ma'am, and, uh, and talk about what you're going to do before you do it. Now with the black community, their concern is not getting a ticket. Their concern is getting shot, you know? They're okay with the ticket, but they're not okay with a bullet. And so they have a very different idea of what the talk is. And, and so my point is our black brothers and sisters are going through a kind of racism that we can relate to on another level, but it's way more extreme. It's racism on a whole new level, and today we want to hear their story and really just increase our empathy as a community. So that's where we're going today, and that's what we're trying to do, and we definitely need the grace of God to do all of that. The title of my message is, Would Jesus Say Black Lives Matter? I want you guys to think about that for a second. Would, 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 he, would he actually say black lives matter? Is that something that Jesus would say? Now, I, I, I borrowed this title from an article that I read. The article was just okay, but the title was great, so I borrowed the title. And uh, I think it's a thought-provoking question. Would Jesus say black lives matter? Now, I think there's some of us, maybe a lot of us, who would say, well, of course he would. Of course he would say black lives matter. But I, I, I want to ask an, another question around that, which is, well, it, is racism a side issue in the Bible? Is it more of a secondary issue? Or is it more of a core thing that must be addressed? Right? So I think answering the second question would help us to answer the first question, which is what would Jesus say? I think there's other people who would say, I'm not sure because Black Lives Matter is a political movement. And as far as I read in the gospel, Jesus didn't come as a political leader, but as a spiritual leader. So I don't know if he would say Black Lives Matter. You know, would he get behind the political movement? And then others, I think, would say, I don't think Jesus would say Black Lives Matter. I think he would say all lives matter. And you've heard that term before. It's on the radio. People have used it. I think Jesus would say all lives matter. And then still there's others of us who would say, well, I don't know if Jesus would say Black Lives Matter because it would be disrespectful to the police. And so I, I don't see Jesus doing that, and so I don't know if he would say that. Well, we have these questions, and they're all really good questions. The place to go to for the answers would be the scripture. So if you would open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start at um, really the first scripture that Leslie read for us. Now, <clears throat> in this scene of scripture, you see a picture of Jesus that you don't often see, right? And if I were to, to paint a picture of Jesus, I would paint a picture of Jesus being really angry, you know, really mad, you know, his blood is boiling, you know, he's infuriated, right? And you're asking the question, what would make Jesus so infuriated? Well, in this scene, Jesus returns to the temple to cleanse it, and it's the day after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he is overturning tables, and coins are spilling everywhere, and he is driving out people who are buying and selling animals. Now, when we look at this passage, we, we come away just on surface area. We go, this is how Jesus feels when worship to the most holy God is being corrupted. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
But what happens if you look deeper? What happens if you ask other questions? Okay, these people were um, money changing. There was commerce. There was market. There was the buying and selling of animals. The question is, where were they doing this? Were they doing this in the Holy of Holies? The answer is, no, of course not. Were they doing this in the court of the Jews? No, the court of the Jews is very well protected, peaceful. They're able to worship. Where were they doing this, this commerce, smelly animals, exchange of money? Where were they doing this? They were doing this in the court of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the people who do not have the Jewish race. That's where we're going to set up our marketplace. That's where we're going to have the dirty and smelly exchange. And Jesus found this infuriating. Now look, I don't want to underplay, I don't want to overplay the racial overtones that are in this passage. But they're there. They're there. Jesus was angry that worship to God was being polluted. Especially for who? For the Gentiles. For the non-Jewish people. Jesus was angry at the corruption of worship, especially the form of racism and ethnocentrism that is being displayed in this scene. And then he says this. He says, uh, Will my father's house uh, shall be a house of prayer for all the what? All the, the nations. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Jesus felt very passionately about this. Now, let's keep on moving along. Um, I, I want to also cover uh, how the early church uh, dealt with some of these things as well. But before we go there, uh, Jesus was crucified. He was uh, resurrected from the dead. And right before he ascended into heaven, he gave his followers very clear instructions. Now, you should understand that his followers were really concerned about Israel. When is Israel going to be uh, restored? What's going on with Israel? And, and Jesus had a much greater vision in mind. And so in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. And you imagine them nodding their heads, this is good, this is good. And in Samaria. It's almost like he's saying Samaritan lives matter, right? Now, there were, there were some, uh, they, they held some racism towards the Samaritans. They were like half-breeds, right? And then Jesus says, and to the ends of the earth, all nations, all races. Now, at this point, you're probably saying, well, it sounds like Jesus is saying all lives matter. Hold on to that. We can get back to that in a second. Now, Jesus clearly had a vision in mind that was for all people, equal access to the salvation that only he provides on the cross, right? He's thinking all races, all races. Okay, now let's go to the early church. If we go to the early church and we go to uh, chapter 6, what you see after Jesus ascends is that the early church is launched and the early church is powerful. But there are three things that stand in the early church's way, three problems that threaten to compromise the early church. Number one, it was persecution. And that's where you see the leaders are getting imprisoned. And one of them, Stephen, is stoned to death. And that was a problem. God used it in a way to actually spread the gospel. But you imagine that that church, that was a real problem. The second thing that threatened the church was hypocrisy. You guys remember Ananias and Sapphira, right? 
they wanted everyone to think that they were super generous when in reality they kept back some of those funds for themselves. Okay, that was the second problem. What was the third problem that really threatened the livelihood of the church? It was racism. Racism was right there in the beginning of the church. And that, there you see in chapter 6, you have Greek widows, you have Jewish widows, and they're in the same church. But one day the Greek widows look at the daily distribution of food and they're like, this is not fair. The Hebrew widows are getting more than we're getting. And the only difference between them and us is race. They're Jewish, we're not. So the grumblings and the complaints reach the ears of the apostles. What do they do? Do they shrug their shoulders? Do they go, oh, this is a secondary issue? No, what do they do? They move radically to meet this problem, which was racism. What do they do? Well, they said, listen, let's appoint some new leaders. They'll be deacons. They'll be in charge of distributing the food. And the congregation comes together, and they vote seven people who all happen to have Greek names. What does that mean? They shared power with the Greeks. Equality in God's church. You know, equal access to God and to food if you are a widow. So they dealt with racism head on, right? Now, this next one, I'm going to go really quickly, but in Acts 15, you see the first church council. You see leaders, everyone who mattered in the Christian movement, all gathering into the same room, in the same spot. They're praying. They're talking. What's the issue at hand? Well, there were some Jewish Christians who were infiltrating the ranks, and they were saying, look, you got to be Jewish before you can be Christians. And this was the message they were giving to the Gentiles. you got to be Jewish in order to really be a, a Christian. Now, this is a form of racism. And they got together and they sorted out this matter. And in part, they were putting an end to the racism that was going on within the churches. Okay, now, I've, I've walked through like four bits of teaching, four different parts of Scripture. You put them all together and you go, what is the Scripture teaching us? What can we take away from the weight of the Scriptural witness? Well, first of all, this is the first thing you can take away. Today, we are talking about racism, and it was just as relevant today, like in the news, as it was back then in Jesus' time and for the early church, just as relevant. For us to talk about racism today is not a liberal move. It's a biblical one. If you really want to be biblical, then we should talk about racism because the early church dealt with it, Jesus dealt with it. These are relevant issues for the church to tackle, right? Well, a, a second thing that we can uh, take away is that Jesus and his followers actively put an end to racism whenever they saw it and whenever it was in their power to do so. They actively put an end to racism wherever they saw it and whenever it was in their power to do so. Okay, so in light of all this, would Jesus say black lives matter? Well, as far as the value is concerned, Absolutely. But now let's start wading into some of the complexities. Like, would he say all lives matter? And what about, um, what about uh, Black Lives Matter as a political movement? And what about how it might be disrespectful to police? Okay, we're going to address these one at a time, okay? First one is Black Lives Matter as a political movement. All right? Let me share a little bit about the history of Black Lives Matter. This phrase was born on the night of July 13, 2013 
when Alicia Garza, who was an Oakland-based community organizer, learned about what happened with George Zimmerman, that he was acquitted in the shooting of an unarmed black teenager, Trayvon Martin. You guys remember this? Okay, Garza immediately thought of her younger brother. She looks at Trayvon Martin and she goes, oh, that totally could be my younger brother. You know, same height, same build, same age. And then she starts to feel like, I feel very unsafe here in America. In a 2015 interview, she recalled, one thing I remember from that evening, other than crying myself to sleep that night, was the way in which, as a black person, I felt incredibly vulnerable, incredibly exposed, and incredibly enraged. It was a verdict that said, black people are not safe in America. Now, fellow activist Patrice Cullors saw the post, and she put those last three words of her post, which is, Black Lives Matter, into a hashtag, and the movement was born. But you need to understand that Black Lives Matter, that, those words, it came when um, Alicia Garza was impassioned and she was spent the whole night crying, and then she put this impassioned message on Facebook, and the last three uh, words of that post were, Black Lives Matter, and then it became a hashtag, and then it became a movement. Well, um, a third activist, Opal Tometi, joined them, and they started to organize some gatherings. The movement gathered, uh, steamed on a national level about a year later after another unarmed black teenager by the name of Michael Brown was shot to death by a police officer in Ferguson. And since then, this movement has brought about a thousand nonviolent protests that have been held in approximately 30 cities. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. Now, one thing you should know is that these three women are not from the church. This movement was born outside the church. And since they're not from the church, we're not really expecting them to embody all the values of Scripture. It, it, didn't, it didn't start like that. But on the core issue, which is that Black Lives Matter, racial justice, this is one that is deeply shared by all Bible-believing Christians. So definitely at the very core of the movement, Christians uh, have that value or should have that value deep in their hearts. So what does this mean? Well, this means that on one hand, you know, because the movement was born outside of the church, we should be wise and discerning. You know, we don't, we don't take in everything um, uh, without asking questions. We're wise. We, we, we agree with Black Lives Matter on the core issue, but we're also not ignorant of the differences. So on the one hand, when we say uh, all uh, Black Lives Matter as a political movement, um, there is discernment. But on the other hand, wise Christians should not be quick to judge. Why do I say that? Well, at this time and for the you know, past couple of years, this there has been no evangelical alternative. You know what I mean by that? Is that this didn't come from the church. And, and you're kind of asking, well, shouldn't it have come from the church? I mean, if anyone's going to really um, stand against injustice in, in race, shouldn't it be the church? 
Yeah, but it didn't come from the church. It came from outside of the church. So let's not be too quick to judge. At its core, they're doing something good. And so we should, on the one hand, be uh, wise and discerning. On the other hand, we shouldn't be too quick to judge. Okay, now what about all lives matter? You guys have all heard of that uh, slogan, all lives matter, right? And maybe sometimes you use it when you're talking with friends or even in prayer or hearing people say, all lives matter, all lives matter. Okay, I want to say this respectfully. I, I do believe that if you really look at the context, I do not think Jesus would say, all lives matter. I don't think he would say that. Because if you really look at the context, I'm not really sure it's appropriate. Now, let me give you an example, okay? Let's say someone says, black lives matter. And right after that, you say, well, all lives matter. Doesn't it sound like a rebuke? Doesn't it sound like a rebuke? It's like a rebuke. And if you look at the, the appropriate context, it's not saying black lives matter more. It's saying they don't matter less, right? It's saying black lives matter too. Um, one of my mentors has a daughter, really smart, and, uh, and she's uh, half Chinese and half uh, African-American. And she wrote this post, and I'm really proud of her. I thought it was very thought-provoking. She says... You know, when people say all lives matter, it really, really disturbs me. And I, I, I just sat down and thought about why does it disturb me? And she said, well, it's kind of like this. Let's say we're all at a funeral. Okay, let's say everyone here is at a funeral. And they're lowering the casket into the ground. And suddenly, one person detects that there's movement in the casket. And she's like, hey, everyone, this person is still alive. Now, imagine everyone in the funeral going, well, we're all alive. And then this person goes, like, what? <laughs> Did you hear me? <laughs> this person is, we're all alive. Now, she's saying that when we say this person is still alive, that's us like saying, hey, this life matters. Hey, stop what you're doing because black lives matter. If you don't stop what you're doing, these lives are going to be put in the ground, right? And for, for people to say, well, all lives matter, it's kind of like saying, well, we're all alive. It's taken away from the action. It's kind of a rebuke. Are we trying to rebuke black people for saying our lives matter too? Are we trying to rebuke them for saying uh, do our lives matter less? No. No, of course all lives matter to Jesus. But if you look in the context, I don't know, guys. I don't think these words are really appropriate. What about disrespect to policemen? Hey, you say black lives matter, you're basically disrespecting police. Is that true? I don't think that's true. And uh, I'll just give you a picture, and I, I think the picture will actually state the case. Look at this man. Oh, not that, not that, not that young man. Okay, the other one. <laughs> that, that was my son, by the way. That's another story. <laughs> look at this man. All right, look at this man. That man is a police officer. He's holding a sign that says, Black Lives Matter. Is this man against police officers? No. What is he against? He's against police brutality. What is he for? He's for the black community, but he's not against police officers. It's like uh, my, my friend said, you know, when we say save the whales, it doesn't mean kill the dolphins. When we say support our troops, it doesn't mean and no one else matters. So, yes, we can say black lives matter. 
and we can also be against police brutality, and we can also support the police. We're complex. <laughs> These issues are complex. We can also be complex too. We can be nuanced. So this leads me to this conclusion. What would Jesus say? Would Jesus say black lives matter? I think he would say black lives matter. Now, it, it's, it's, it's always hard to say what Jesus would say, you know, and you, know, you always want to be careful about that. But I do think in his heart and with the words, it would sound like black lives matter to me. I can imagine Jesus saying black lives matter to me. They matter to my father. And as a church, we want to say black lives matter to us. And black lives matter to me. So, okay. What do we go, what, what do we do now? Well, I, I think now for the rest of our time, um, I, I want us to, to listen and to hear and to look. But I want to do it maybe in a different way. I think maybe most of this presentation has been for like the head and the mind, and that's good. But I think for the next part, I want us to look with our hearts. Let me tell you what I mean. The, there is a, a certain pattern that Jesus would engage in when he would deal with people, you know. And uh, we all know that Jesus would do these amazing miracles, right? And he would say these amazing things. But often enough, if you look what comes before the miracle and before he said the amazing thing, there was compassion, and if you look at the compassion and you think, what's before the compassion? The text will say, he looked at people. So he would look at people, then he would feel something. And from the depths of his heart, he would move, right? So we're not going to jump to, hey, let's do this, let's do that. No, we're just going to look, right? So, for example, before Jesus said those incredibly challenging words to the, to the, uh, the young rich ruler, the text says, he looked at him and he loved him. And before uh, Jesus brought the widow's son back to life, what did he do? He looked at her and his heart of compassion went out to her and then he raised her son back. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the stories, we're going to look at some stats, and we're going to look at some videos. And really now would be a time for us to let our hearts be broken. Uh, let me start well with some numbers, all right? <laughs> we'll go with the numbers first and then and then we'll, we'll just kind of make our way from there. In 2015, and I want you guys to remember these numbers. I want you guys to say 103. Okay, let's try again. I want you guys to say 103. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, 103 unarmed black men were killed by police officers in 2015. 103. Okay. It's probably more than the people here in this room. In 2015, I repeat that, 103 unarmed, unarmed, they didn't have a gun, unarmed, they didn't have a weapon, unarmed black men were killed by police officers, and it's five times greater than the number of unarmed white people. Here's another stat. It was quoted by President Obama. African American and Hispanic people make up 30% of the national population. But in our prisons they make up more than 50%. Can someone say that's not right? <clears throat> I heard a story from um, another pastor who's friends with a black family. And it's interesting because the black family lives in a mostly white neighborhood. It's kind of a suburban neighborhood. 
But this is what the mom does twice a year. She takes the whole family, including the kids, and they go to the uh, police station. And they go and they meet all the police officers, all the people on the streets who are there at the headquarters. They make sure they meet them all. This is my son, this is my daughter, this is my husband. Shaking hands, getting to know them, sharing stories. Twice a year! Do you know why, why she does that? Because she knows that in this neighborhood they will be harassed. She knows that there's mistrust. She knows that they might be pulled over and there's a, there's a baseline fear and some of my family members might be killed. Now, can you imagine that? When, when a cop pulls you over, like, there's certain concerns. I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to get a ticket, right? Can you imagine one of your fears being, and they might shoot me and kill me or my son or my daughter or my uncle, you know? What, what is that? What? Now, really, in, in understanding the black community's struggle with this, I think the best way is for us to just go to the source and to watch the videos that they saw as well that really started the unrest and the heartbreak and, um, and a lot of the pain. So I want you to see these videos with fresh eyes. You know, not the eyes of your intellect. I'm, we're not looking for the details of facts. I'm not asking you guys to me. judge, to make we a judgment. We got pulled over this. for a busted tail light in the back. And the police just, he's, he's, he's covered. I want he you to imagine Philando Castile as he's your licensed, brother, he's carried, as your uncle, He's licensed and to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um, pocket. And he let the officer know that he was... He had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet, and the officer just shot him in his arm. We're waiting for a back. I will, sir. No worries. I will. Fuck. He just shot his arm off. We got pulled yeah. over on Larpener. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand open. He had. You told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh my God! Please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Just keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, Jesus, don't tell me that he's gone. Please don't tell me that he's gone. Please, officer, don't tell me that you just did this to him. You shot four bullets into him, sir. He was just getting his license and registration, sir. Get the female passenger out. Right now with your hands up. Let me see your hands. Exit. That was a video, a video a of Philando Castillo showing a deadly officer who is getting shot. in Louisiana. This one is of Alton Sterling. The sight and the sounds are graphic. Well, the FBI has opened a civil rights investigation into the death of 37-year-old Alton Sterling. This cell phone video, this is another one, appears to show Sterling and two officers fighting outside of a store. Again, this is graphic video. We know Sterling was armed as things escalated when he was killed. The individuals involved in his murder took away a man with children who depended upon their daddy on a daily basis. My son is not the youngest. 
He is the oldest of his siblings. He is 15 years old. <laughs> he had to watch this as this was put all over the outlet and everything that was possible to be shown. As some may know, Alton sold CDs and was doing just that, not bothering anyone, and had the consent of the store owners as well. And then the events that recorded during the two officers. Now, if we could reflect on the measure of a man, it should not be judged on his past. But most scientific marks that a man left his life and what he left on lives of his children. As this video has been shared across the world, you will see with your own eyes how he was handled unjustly and killed without regard for the lives that he helped raise. That was Quinetta McMillan. She is the mother of Alton's. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us um, to just observe a minute of, of silence. Um, you know, one thing that we are not very good at is just uh, lamenting, as just holding brokenness and pain before God. And uh, we're just going to do that for a minute, and then we're going to pray together as a community, okay? So uh, I don't know what you were feeling as you were watching those videos. Uh, a couple days ago as I was watching them, I just, I just wept, you know? And uh, I think that's, that's a very appropriate thing to do before God. So let's just spend a minute and bring and hold that pain just before our maker. And we'll just do that for a minute or so. I'm just going to pray a bit, and then I'm going to invite us all to stand, and we're going to pray the words of this prayer together. But um, let me just let me go first. Um, Father, I just want to pray for our brothers and sisters in the black community. And right now, as we're just watching the videos, our, our hearts go out to them. We, I, I, speaking for myself, I can't imagine, because um, I have a son and I have, I have a daughter, just... Um, the pain that they're going through, uh, feeling like they're not safe in America, and just the rage at the racial injustice. Forgot, uh, Father, we know that you are a God that not, is not far away, but you are a God that is close by. You are a God 
who died on the cross, and so you know ultimately the pain and the suffering that we go to. Jesus, you know what it's like to lose the son. And if there's anyone that can relate to the black community, it's you, Father. And so we just hold brokenness, the brokenness of our world, the racial strife that's in our community, and we just come before you. And I thank you, Lord, that in your cross, that in your personhood, you have the answers. You do have the solution. But now as we see these, uh, these, uh, these shootings, we're brokenhearted. And we just want to stand with our black brothers and sisters in their pain. Can I ask you all to stand? And we're just going to pray this uh, together. I don't know if you guys are, are used to a, a liturgical kind of prayer where we're all praying the same thing. And, but um, as we are reading these words, we're praying them with our heart. And so let's pray these together. Um, God of all, Every life that was taken this week was made by you. The lives that were not valued by the world were cherished by you. You grieve more than we ever could. Sadly, some of us pray this prayer with weary familiarity. Sadly, some of us pray in confusion, slowly waking to the realities that our nation has known in her bones for centuries. We wonder if change is possible. We wonder if there is any way forward that leads to peace as well as justice. Hear our prayer, Prince of Peace and Righteous One, along with all who suffer injustice. May we find a way to declare justice and bring change. Be with the true peacemakers who call for justice. We pray for our city, and for the generational healing that must happen before a new life can grow. We pray for our law enforcement, protect them and call them to the highest calling of justice. We pray for the church, for a godly affliction that leads to repentance, and for power to speak with one voice against all injustice everywhere. Give us ears to hear the voices that speak prophetically. We mourn with those who mourn, May your spirit give us peace to all who have lost someone this week. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. All right, you guys can all stand. I, I think at this moment in the, the sermon, it's a little bit hard to recover just going with teaching. But I, I still feel like we need to wrap up the message with some words of, of movement, words that will be appropriate for our community, and also, we can't end like this when we have such a glorious hope in God. And so, I want to close on that final thought. Uh, I want to say this. You might have heard it said, do unto one, or actually, don't do unto one what you can't do with the many. I don't know if you've heard that before. Don't do unto one what you can't do with the many. By the grace of God, we actually want to flip that around. We want to say, let's do with one what we wish we had time and resource to do with many. Let's do with one what we wish we had power to actually do with many. Now, what do I mean by this? It's, it's easy to, to hear about racial, uh, institutional racism and just to feel so overwhelmed, you know? 
Just feel like this thing is huge and I am so small. I can only affect such little change, just like one thing. But there's so many things that need to be done. And so much of it is out of my control. And so we feel paralyzed. Like I only have one thing. And so with the one thing, we don't even do the one thing. And so we want to change that. We want to say if God's given you one thing, one friend, one conversation, one coworker, then go there first. Don't be paralyzed because you feel like you can't change anything. If God's given you one thing, a few things, be faithful with those few. So uh, here are some examples. Like one thing that we can do is we can um, have a conversation with a friend who might be African-American. That's one thing that we can do. Another thing we can do is we can talk to our parents about it. There is this really cool open letter that Asian-Americans have compiled and um, it, it just kind of goes through the words that we might use to talk to our parents about Black Lives Matter. And really, we're trying to say, Black Lives Matter to us. Talk to your kids about this. Uh, maybe some of the students, like this semester, one practical thing you can do, enroll in ethnic studies course. I know it just it sounds small, but it's going to keep you in the game of the conversation, to keep these issues aware. Maybe one thing we can do this summer is to read a book about racial injustice, just to continue to invest in just very practical ways. What's the few things? What's the one thing that you've been called to do? And that just start there. And I'm sure God will give us another step to take, but why not start with one? Make that step forward. Now, I also want to say this. Let's do the one thing what Jesus will one, do, will one day do with the many. Now, what do I mean by that? Do with your one thing what you know Jesus will do with the many. What do I mean by that? If you look in the scriptures and you look at human history and where it's going, it is not an endless cycle of racism that just keeps on repeating itself over and over again. No, 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 no. If you look in the scriptures, especially in Revelations, all of history is going somewhere. Where is it going? It's all culminating in the return of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, the many, he is going to change the many. He is going to change the many. It says uh, in Revelations um, 7, 9, and John's talking about how he saw a great multitude of people in heaven. People of every nation and every tribe and every people group and every language. And they were gathered and they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they all had white robes on and they had palm branches. And they were all in unison and perfect, wonderful unity and harmony. They were crying out in worship to God. They were doing it together. All the nations, all the races were going to be in this beautiful, amazing, incredible harmony. And that is where history is going. Jesus is going to come back. And every evil will be undone. And every form of racism will be undone. And he will wipe away every tear. I mean, this is one of the huge, the biggest reasons I'm a Christian. Because of the hope that only Jesus offers. Now look, if you know that you're on the winning team and you know that you're going to win the war because when he died on the cross, the war was won. So if you know that you're on the winning team, that means you can be so faithful and effective in, in, in winning your battle, in doing your part. Maybe it's few, maybe it's a lot. 
But if you know that Jesus won the war, then you can be very faithful for the battlefronts that are in your life. So let's do unto the one, or let's do unto the few, what we know Jesus will do with the many. And it's in his name that we close this message, and it's in this name that we have hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know that you have the solution and that you are the solution and that all of history is culminating for your return. But right now, we're not there exactly. Right now, we're in pain. Right now, we're in the valley. Right now, we're on the bottom and we're really hopeful that you're going to pull us up. So in this meantime, we wait upon you. Help us to listen well. Help us to empathize. Help us to understand. And help us to be peacemakers. Father, we don't want to be people who just spout off easy solutions. We want to be people who look at people, who look at the members of the black community, who look at our friends. And we want to say, just like Jesus, just like Jesus might say, black lives matter to us and they matter to me. Thank you for being that kind of God. And in your name we pray. Amen.